Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine land. And today, no, it is not Thursday, so don't check your calendar, your time clock, whatever you're using to, uh, uh, or your sundial, uh, what do you have out there trying to figure out what day it is. It is the day before Thanksgiving, so it is Wednesday. Is it Thanksgiving Eve? I don't know, but I want to bring in um my good friend and special guest brian colburn brian come to the show hey todd thanks hey. for having me <laughs> so so <laughs> before we um all break bread with our families and loved ones and friends uh maybe all the same uh we always like to do the best books or the not the best books but the books that we believe that you should be reading or at least um, have near you, I suppose, but uh, reading is always better, uh, or on your bookshelf. And so we're going to get into the leadership edition of this. And it's always a fun show. Uh, these are great books that you can always purchase for yourself or also, uh, buy for the holidays that are coming up because I guess there's a few of them on the way that uh, people like to exchange gifts on. Although tomorrow is not one of them, which is, we should start that tradition. I think we should have Thanksgiving gifts. What do you think, Brian? Uh, that would be a negative. I think we have too many uh, retail holidays as it is. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some aluminum foil. <laughs> well, we are bringing ham and turkey and all sorts of foods. So I guess those are gifts in themselves. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about books. So what's the... Um, how, how do you pick a book? Sounds like a stupid question, but... You know, it's interesting. Uh, the majority of the books are typically recommended that I intend to consume and or I find an author in an area that I'm I'm researching for a project and I'm like, oh, that might be interesting and add to my research. So then I would grab it. But I would have to say most of them are uh, recommended. Now, I mean, like there, there's a few books that you recommended to me that I've read over the years. Um, and then like, of course, you know, you found like Daniel Pink, for instance, um, you know, he, he came to you via uh, a workshop that you attended, um, you know, things like that. I think those are interesting as well. Um, but there's also, you know, kind of come across sometimes like just an article or I, that's how I find a lot of them uh, read like the Atlantic magazine or something like this and, you know, fast company or, or wired or whatever. And they talk about an author and that kind of comes across my, my radar then and i'll purchase the book and you know brian and i we we share books back and forth recommend books back and forth so reading is really really important and and why is reading important to you you know i want to first start by saying this the majority of the books i consume are audio books um you know i crack a book to open now i do buy physical books as well typically if the audio book was like riveting and i want to dog ear tag out the book for reference then i will buy both the you know audio that gets me into it and then oh i need the hardcover so i can pull it off the shelf and reference something um but um the majority of the books i listen to are audio and um I hope that's, so. it's just the way i roll i mean i'm more into audio i, I, would, I would hope the majority of the books you listen to are audio yeah, the the hardcovers they don't sing to me as well. Um, 
No, but I mean, okay, so reading, listening, whatever, it's for me, that's colloquial. Um, so when you consume information, why is that important for you? A, it's a mental break. Um, I get to dive into this book and just think about it and and reflect on what I'm learning from it. But the education, I don't I don't read or consume a lot of fiction. The majority of it's nonfiction. Just personally, if I'm going to commit time to something, I want to learn something from it. Not that you can't learn from fiction. However, it's just not my jam. You know, I, I was that way for a long time um, as well. And then I, I was listening to somebody talk about um, reading in general, what it does for you. And like, uh, matter of fact, they said like they recommend for every every nonfiction book that you read, uh, you should consume a fiction book. And, were they a fiction author? No, they weren't. Um, but the the reason being is it allows your mental ability, it allows you to to take a break from what you do. Um, it allows you to to explore um, things inside your you know just for fun, right? Like watching mm-hmm. movies, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you watch doc, think about it this way: if you watch documentaries every day instead of instead of every once in a while watching a comedy or a uh, or a mystery book or, or mystery you know show or whatever, you would be kind of a, a doll life at some point. So that's that the idea behind it. Now I don't necessarily consume one for one, uh, but I do do, I do do, I do consume, um, uh, um, nonfiction, um, as well, but we'll get into that in a minute. So what's your, what book? Well, let's get into it. Like what, well, do you want to say something? He's wanted to say something. Kind of. I was just going to say, I get a lot of my fiction from the morning news, but that's <laughs> a conversation for another day. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> so, what let's get into it what book what's your first book that you recommend for people to read the first book i want to bring to the table is leaders eat last and i know you've talked about simon sinek's work here in the past so i really don't want to dive into it a lot however the principles discussed and how he relates it to what i was brought up to believe and act as a leader in the marine corps were just it, it was a great book it is a good book, um, and that has been a perennial on our on our top ten books that belong on an emergency manager's bookshelf. Um, and yeah, I, I'll I'll agree with that one. I'm gonna go. <clears throat> you're gonna see a theme here for me, and I think it's just what I've been consuming this year, and and what I'm what I've been into. A couple books I've or some of the ones I've reread this year, um, but I want to start off with a blueprint for coastal adaptation. I have the physical book here and this is more of a more of a textbook i suppose it's a, a book that has um chapters written by multiple different people on on how we can make the coastal area safer um for communities and you know we have to live with the fact that <clears throat> um we have to live with the fact that the um you know coastal erosion is a serious thing and and what's that mean and what do we owe uh, to people who built homes on the coastal area, what I mean, oh, is do we, right? That's the question that, that I ask on that one is, you know, if you build there, is it our responsibility to bail you out? But at a minimum, we make we need to make policy. It's a policy book. I'm a policy wonk. You guys know that. Um, so it's about you know, uniting design, economics, um, and policy together. And that's what it's about. Well, and, you know, on that note, emergency managers in Arizona might want to take heed to that text as well, because I understand there's going to be some oceanfront property available there soon. 
Yeah, it might be. <laughs> that song just popped into my head. I had to go there. You know, this next book is somewhat EM related. And I'm going to start off by telling a story. I made my daughter read this book before she was allowed to date. My wife has read it a few times now because she's just a true crime freak and it has to do with, you know, crime and and protecting yourself. But it's The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And this will kind of give you a glimpse into how I consume books. If our brain is wired to tell our bodies we should be fearful because it's processed information that we haven't cognitively brought to our own attention, what can it do in the boardroom or during a negotiation? This book, in my opinion, can help you realize what's going on internally and listen to your gut a little more, even though you don't quite understand why your gut's feeling the way it is. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, we should be listening to our gut and there's, um, I have a couple that kind of talk about that as well when we will get down further into the, the books I'm recommending, but yeah, that's a good book. It's a, it's a classic as well. Um, and I'm going to kind of go a really weird way. Um, it's uh, Steve jobs uh, by Walter Isaacson. And if you haven't not read that book um, yeah, it's about Steve jobs. <laughs> by the title, right? it's, a, it's, a, it's a biography. Um but it's also it's it's a great leadership book. Um, it's also a great way to look at things in general with design, and and how Steve Jobs really put so much effort into everything that he did when it came to design. Things that are hidden that you wouldn't see, such as the circuit board. Um, he wanted to make it look good, and he put his name on the circuit board. Right. If you break open an old cell phone, uh, you'd see that Steve Jobs' name is on the circuit board. Um, you know, he his his drive was always for perfection. And if you didn't have that same drive around him, he had nothing to do with you. He would cut you off in a heartbeat. Um, and I find that kind of interesting. Um, to his detriment in some cases. Uh, but that was Steve Jobs. You know, and speaking of that detriment, my next book kind of touches on that. It is by James Surowiecki. It is entitled The Wisdom of the Crowd, Why the Many Are Smarter Than the Few, and How Collective Wisdom Shapes Business, Economics, Societies, and Nations. And, you know, I really don't recall how I came across this book, but it was kind of riveting and it speaks in my opinion to that leader listening to their people so that's why it's on on the list for me today now i recommended this book to you a while ago i don't know if you ever picked it up did you pick up the the artisan no i have not well okay so it's called return of the artisan how america went from the industrial to handmade and um I find it, I found it fascinating. I don't even remember how I came across it, probably on a podcast or something I was listening to. And it talks about how, like, in the 1950s, the United States went into, like, this manufactured world, right? Everything, if you look at the commercials back then, everything was manufactured, put in plastics. Um, 
you know, even our food uh, became manufactured um, and, and almost not real. Um, you know, the Bisco, for instance, he talks about that and, and, and like how they moved away from like, you know, actually making bread and necessarily into um, manufacturing goods, right. Manufactured foods. And there's been a shift to the artisan artisanal breads, right? If you think about it, the going to and, and Brian, you I know you love to go to these uh, with your wife, the um, farmers markets, and purchase things like that uh, for people that are actually uh, making the product. You know, and so that's the shift that we're seeing. And and the reason why I bring this up is, um, you're starting to see more and more today. You're right. You hear this term. Um, the quiet quitting or the great resignation um, and these things. And even individuals, right. Are moving from that idea of the large corporation where they're a cog, a number in that thing. And they're finding more satisfaction by working with their hands, doing small things. I mean, Etsy for instance, is a really great um, example of people going and making artisan um, small batch uh, products and not these large batch things. So I found that really interesting. And, and I think we're seeing the shift um, in the economics um, of the United States, maybe potentially the world going away from those large corporations into the small mom and pop. Uh, you talked about one called like, what is like the company of one or something like that at one time, very similar to, to what this book really talks about and how this shift is going from large to small to the artisan. Not having to do with a book, but think of this medium right here, podcasting. It's not a large company TV or, or radio station production. It's you, the creator, maybe with a little help from a studio like this, you know, hand producing content and putting it out in the world, kind of along the same lines. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's probably why I was, you know, why I, I was drawn to that book as well. Yeah. The next book I want to bring up, and this is why I go to a lot of networking events and it's interesting for me to watch behavior and how people think a networking event is about going there to sell your products instead of networking. And this book by Jeffrey Gittimer, uh, the little black book of connections is an easy read. Uh, it's a great book that will hopefully adjust mindsets into understanding the power of a network and how going to a network event and networking properly is going to help you achieve the goals you set forth to achieve. So um, I know I've recommended this to you, Todd. I'm not sure if you've picked it up yet. Oh, that was the first, uh, I probably bought that book when I was, when you and I were still working uh, EMS. Yeah. Because um, I got moved into doing uh, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a great book. The little black book of connections by Jeffrey Gittimer. That's Jeffrey Gittimer has some really great stuff. He's a very interesting guy as well to listen to. If you ever uh, found his podcast, um, him and his wife, both um, are, are sales gurus. Um, if you're, you know, and when I say this and, and I know Brian and I have talked about this before, the idea of how do you sell yourself? Um, and so I highly recommend it. I have some other Jeffrey Gittimer books as, as well. Um, and uh, I recommend anything he writes um, is, is pretty well. And it's entertaining too, right? I mean, you read them and they're not just boring sales books. They're, they're actually kind of fun to read. and They'll make you laugh a little bit as well. Definitely. 
My next book is Angry Weather, Heat Waves, Flood Storms, and the New Science of Climate Change by uh, Frederick Otto. And it's it's really it's the 100 most influential persons in 2021 as uh, Frederick Otto came into this thing. And Angry Weather tells the compelling day-to-day story of Hurricane Harvey, which uh, caused um, $125 billion in damage in 2017. And, and, and what does this mean? Like, is weather getting angrier? You know, there's talk to different scientists about different things. I can just tell you that um, the storms are definitely getting um, more frequent, um, you know, and when they do come, they seem to be more intense. Now some people will say it's different. I don't know if that's true or not, but this is but what I've been noticing. Um, but the storms are definitely costing more money. And, and whether it's because we're seeing more people living in the same area, uh, whatever that, that means, um, it's definitely causing more damage and it's causing uh, angst amongst um, people. So take a look at that book. Really gets into what, it, what does it mean, what does weather mean, and the economic side of, of weather disasters. Um, the next book I want to bring to light is a book entitled Never Split the Difference, oh, Negotiating book. as If Your Life Depends on It by Chris Voss. And I remember long, long time ago, I went to a three-day negotiation seminar and me walking into it, my mindset was win, 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 negotiate the best deal for you instead of negotiating an amicable deal for both parties for future business. So this just kind of reinforces that. And um, I think when it comes to leadership, you may be negotiating with the board, you may be negotiating with a customer, you may be negotiating with a vendor. So um, negotiating communication is a huge part of leadership. And that's why it's on my list. I subscribe to masterclass. Um, you know, the, you've probably all seen the commercial for it and he actually has a masterclass on there. Uh, he was an FBI uh, negotiator, uh, hostage negotiator. Um, and so he takes those skills that he learned from there and applies it to, uh, uh, to business as well. Um, so highly recommend that book. And if you do um, partake with masterclass, I recommend his, uh, his lessons as well. They're, they're very good. Um, my next book is leadership is, is a relationship and how people, um, how to put people first in the digital world. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm having the cough today. So this book uh, concentrates on strategies for combining, uh, for, for combating, I'm sorry, depersonalization of the information age and, and real stories from Olympic champions and small business owners who put people first. And I think, um, that's what we fail to do today's world is, is really putting people first. Um, and I, and when you, when you go to a place where they put people first, you're blown away, right? You're just like, Oh my gosh, like that customer service was amazing. Um, and was it really amazing or was it just the fact that they, they knew to put you first or is customer service? I think you and I've had this conversation, Brian, back, back when I was reading this book, because I was bringing these things up to you and, and you're like, is it that our expectations have gone that low to where we expect poor service? Um, and that when we get good service, even if it's marginally good service that we're blown away. I remember having that conversation. Yeah, I do as well. It's, it's interesting, you know, and even companies that boast great customer service, when that changes due to circumstances, they have no control over. We'll take the Apple store during COVID. 
when they dropped a new phone, I went to the store to buy it and I had to have an appointment because it was COVID and social distancing and all of that. And I was pissed off. <laughs> That's not the customer service I normally got when I went to an Apple store. But hindsight being what it is, you know, I still cried enough. So I got walked out with my phone that day. I wasn't going to schedule an appointment. That's funny. You're, <clears throat> you're, 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 you're funny. You, you know, when it, when it comes to that though, like uh, kind of customer service thing and, and it goes into, when you go into leadership, if you think of it this way too, is, is putting your people first, right? You know, um, when we, again, we're going to the whole great resignation and to the uh, quiet quitting, if you will, the, those terms that are happening. Um, it's because we expect so much out of our employees. And there's a girl on TikTok, and I don't remember her name. I would like to give her credit. Um, but she does like these funny skits where she plays all the characters and she's like this customer service person on the, um, you know, and she's she's always like snacking and has like her coffee and then her boss comes over and have these banters back and forth. Um, very, she's a very funny, very talented person. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you go finish. finish. Oh, no, I was, I was gonna say, but I think she's really capturing the essence of like when she's on her break, she's like, Oh, I'm on my break, you know. Um, and the the, the boss is like, Oh, we need you to work overtime. And she's like, Are you gonna pay me overtime? And like, No, she's like, Well, I'm not gonna work it. She's really taking back control over herself. Um, and uh, but she does it in a funny way, you know. You've mentioned quiet quitting twice, and yeah. Since this episode's about leadership, I I don't look at that as an employee issue. I look at that as a corporate culture and a leadership. One hundred percent. If you're not managing your employees, if you're allowing employees to quiet quit, then I mean it's it's failed already. Um, you should know what productivity should be, and if people aren't living up to that level of productivity, then there should be conversations long before it gets that far. I'm going to twist that though on you, Brian. It's it's not necessarily about productivity in the sense of they're not quite quitting. Isn't they're not doing their job. They're doing their, they're almost like union people, right? Like when I say union people, if you think of the Quantum Central, I'll stop my, you know, I, I don't turn left-handed wrenches. I only turn right-handed wrenches, you know, because that's what my job description says. They're just working to their job description and they don't want to give more than what their job but That's not quite quitting. That's working to your job description. That's quite quitting. That's quite, exactly quite quitting. Well, we, we disagree on that and can have that conversation offline. <laughs> <laughs> My next book is an oldie book goodie, and it's one I read every few years, and it is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, oh, good book. rule number seven, sharpen the saw, and reading in my opinion is living up to rule number seven you're learning something you're sharpening that saw so if you haven't written Stephen r covey's seven habits of highly effective people and you're trying to be an effective person um take a step back and grab this book yep and here's the the desk book thing that brian turned me on to and uh the seven habits of highly effective people card thing you read one every day yep <clears throat> Just remind you, keeps and keeping that sharp, that saw sharpened. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's, I think that that book and 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 Covey himself have really influenced all bunch of different authors. I mean, even to like Malcolm Gladwell and and people like that who are, uh, I mean, Daniel Pink, for instance, um, seems to be that he mentions a lot of what Covey's done in the past. Why why is Covey? Uh, he's passed now. He's he's no longer with us, and his son's now taken over. 
the company. Why has Covey really, what has he done in his writings that have like influenced so many other writers? You know, it, I guess in reality, it's a textbook. However, he uses story. And we're going to get into the use of story here in a few books um, that I want to share. But not only was he a great writer, but, you know, tools were created to help you follow along. You know, the Franklin Covey Day Planner, Franklin Covey Time Management and the Ganting and, um, you know, and whether he had direct influence on creating these tools, but they were created under their brand. Um you know, I've read a few Covey books and, you know, he's, in my opinion, one of the greats when it comes to workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And, and having that idea of decision-making, right. Where Covey kind of goes into that as well. Um, one of the books that I found fascinating and I actually had the author um, on, on the show, uh, Brad Borkin, um he has a book called when your life depends on it extreme decision making lessons from the antarctic and it talks about shackleton now the interesting thing is is his book was written uh prior to the discovery of the shackleton ship um in the antarctic and it came out like a week or two before the discovery of it so good timing on his part i guess um so i think that's really got a lot that, that kind of uh, opened my eyes to it as well when I first read this. And when I got him on the show, I talked to him prior. We've talked since. Uh, a wonderful person in general as a, as a, as a human, uh, but a great writer at that. Um, but it goes into that decision-making. And the decisions that Shackleton were making was making were literally life and death decisions. You know, whether we leave the ship, whether we walk, what do we do? Like all this kind of stuff, uh, getting to the island when they got there, um, keeping the team together. And there was like some, there wasn't like all kumbaya, we're all going to listen to Shackleton. There was a lot of uh, infighting that was happening and some, there was actually a um, uh, a mutiny for a little bit. And, and that guy did some interesting stuff. How Shackleton took care of that later on in England as well. Um, um, but it was a really well-written book historic book and really those decision-making points that you get to and how do you make a decision because um i mean you have to make them right and some are life and death and some aren't but this really gets into that process of a thought process of making decisions yes Yes, (laughs) the the next book the the next two books are uh, about selling and Todd and I have had many lengthy conversations about selling um, over the 20 plus years we've known each other. But this book is To Sell is Human, and it is by Daniel Pink, whom Todd referenced earlier. Um, and I'm just going to do a twofer here. When it comes to To Sell is Human, and then I'm going back to a Gittimer book, Jeffrey Gittimer, The Little Red Book of Selling. These are two awesome books, great reads, but if a leader steps back and thinks about selling, he might not be a salesperson. He might not be in the sales pipeline, but he's selling ideas. He's selling concepts. He may be selling himself to the board. Um, He may be selling himself as an emergency manager to the city council, to the county board, to, and this kind of goes hand in hand with being your own best cheerleader. 
you know, you can sit and do awesome work, but if it's not shared with the world, did you do the work? Todd? No, absolutely. I agree with you 100% on, on that. And, uh, you know, we've had those great conversations. Um, sometimes I, I, sometimes I think we should record our conversations because we get into some deep, really great thought uh, conversations, but, um, um, uh, I, I agree. And, you know, we've been talking about that for a bit and really getting people into knowing this and, uh, you know, actually Dan Scott, um, who is sick right now, uh, Dan, I hope you're feeling better. Um, you know, he's doing a great job on that and, and the idea of, of marketing emergency management and, and what's happening. So, uh, uh, as far as that goes, yeah. um, I'm going to combine a couple just for brevity. Um, so I have, um, Richard Thaler who is an economist um, has written a couple books. And the first one that I, that's on my, on my list of, of things here. And I have three of his books, two of his books, I'm sorry, is nudge. Um, and there's a new edition to it. So I recommend uh, getting a new edition. Um, it was written about 10 years ago and it's really uh, has entered the vocabulary of us as far as like business people, policymakers, and it's how to engage residents and citizens and consumers into making good decisions. And the question we've had a lot specifically on the public safety and emergency management side is how do we encourage people to be prepared? Um, how do we encourage them to evacuate when we ask them to things like that? And nudge really kind of shows that you have to put the right choices in front of people uh, for them to make the right choices. And, uh, and, and I'll give you an example um, on the uh, nutrition side of things. If you go to Kaiser hospital, uh, you go into the, um, into the, to the restaurant or whatever you want, the, the lunch room or suppose um, all of their, their foods and choices for food are all healthy. They don't, they don't give you a choice to buy crappy food, right? Now, whether you think that's uh, controlling or not, I mean, we can get into that conversation later on. But what it's doing is it's giving the people that nudge to, to make healthy choices, right? I guess, they have to have, I guess they have no choice to make but healthy choices. I mean, like even the pizza is a healthy pizza. Now, you know, you can get into whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. But, you know, if we could do that to help people make good decisions, um, that's, what they're, that's what that book is, is really about. And, um, and then going to the other side of it too, is the other book that I have with him is, uh, misbehaving and, and the making of behavioral economics, uh, by Thaler. Um, and this one is change the way you think about economics. Uh, and, and, you know, people go, oh, they roll their eyes on economics and, and whatever. But in our line of work, everything we discuss, everything that we talk about, when it comes to disasters and the disaster response, I should say everything, but the majority is economic based, right? We don't, we talk about the fact that it was, you know, $129 billion on Harvey or whatever it is, right? You know, so making economic decisions makes sense. So as somebody who's in leadership in emergency management, disaster response, crisis prevention, economics has to be part of, of what you bring into your uh, vocabulary and to what your reading is. Okay, Brian, you're up. Um, the next book is something that I've spent, I don't know, the last four or five months reading. This one book out of the four or so books I've read when it comes to storytelling 
was probably most impactful. And, and the book is entitled Retellable. It is oh, written by Jay Golden. And the cover reads how your essential stories unlock power and purpose. But I, I want to give a short quote. And I quote Jay Golden, the author, the ability to find, shape, and share your own most essential stories told one-to-one and one-to-many is one of your greatest assets as a leader. And we had the pleasure of having Jay Golden come to the studio and speak to a group of podcasters um, to help them incorporate story into their work in this medium. And it was awesome meeting him. It's a great book. This is a book I have audio and a hard copy that's dog-eared, marked up, and flagged. Um, Well worth it. And if you're in a position to speak to a group, then I encourage you to pick this up and learn to tell an exciting, compelling story when you're trying to influence uh, decisions. Absolutely. I, that was one of my books I had had on as, as well on my list. So we'll just we'll keep at that. Um, you know, a, a couple of things, too, is <clears throat> I'm going to step away from books for a minute consume other things as well right um i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna put a, a pitch out there for uh the emergency management network um if you go over to the Substack, uh we have multiple writers on the emergency management network that are doing great work um it's a newsletter you can uh, subscribe to it uh get it into your um into your inbox uh, of some of the great work that's being written over there so i highly recommend doing that and reading and joining the conversation as well right? That's the other side of it too, is, is have these conversations. Um, put your thoughts out there. Don't be afraid uh, to put your opinion and or ask questions. And I think that's a critical side of it too, is continuing that conversation. And um, that being said, there's also other great periodicals that you can read. Um, you know, Disaster Response Journal is, is another one. Um, you have the uh, Domestic Preparedness Journal is a, is a good one. Um, you have the crisis response journals, another one, things like that, that other writers are writing into and, and, and keeping up on this. And then I, I also, I mean, if I have a stack of, of magazines and, uh, and, and I read through them, um, but you have um, the Atlantic is one of my favorite um, places to go and then consuming other podcasts as well. And I think those are some of those, uh, those other things that you can get good knowledge from um, and make you thought provoking uh, when I talk about the other podcasts, I like uh, Freakonomics. Um, I like the Fifth Column. Um, if you go to actually, if you go to um, Substack, you'll see other Substacks that I recommend it to the EM to the Emergency Management Network Substack. You'll see other other Substack articles that are are, are pages that are recommended as well. So, what do you think about that, Brian? No, it's you know where wherever you can consume content, do it. Um, there are some very talented authors, podcasters out there that are creating some really cool thought provoking material and don't just read it for it, read it and try to identify what you can pull out of it and apply to your daily life um, and or work and or home. Um, you know, the, the last book, for example, is a book entitled pitch anything. And I should say my last book, not the last book. Um, more books will be written, folks. <laughs> um, it's called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. And 
It's an innovative method for presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. And just on that merit, it can be applied to family life, wife, children, cousins, brothers, sisters, work. It's those types of lessons that can be pulled out of a text written for business that can be applied in multiple areas of life. So that's what I encourage you to do. And that's Pitch Anything by Orrin Claff. Um, my last book is uh, Signal Noise. It's uh, <clears throat> The Signal and the Noise, Why So Many Predictions Fail But Some Don't by Nate Silver. And, and, and realistically, this is one of the things that Brian and I talk about a lot about, like when we see things that are coming across the news or what's happening, why this particular story is being shared, why, how is this story getting legs and the story not getting legs? And it's like really picking up like the signal and noise. What is, what is out there that's just noise? Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you for me, and, and I'll probably catch some arrows for this one and I'm okay with it. But like noise is all of those reality TV shows that, that are out there, right? People know way too much about some of these reality TV show stars, quote unquote lives. Uh, but then when you talk to them about things that really matter, they have no clue. Right. And so they're, they're taking the noise because it's shiny and bright and noisy um, and they're not picking up what's the right signals and, and being able to learn. And so that's, that's what I, how I interpret it um, with that, you know, that differences. And I agree with you with one exception, Survivor on CBS, greatest reality show ever. You can take lessons from it and apply to your daily life. But you know, Brian, I'm going to tell you something about that. Right. And this is what I mean. Survivor to me is just a long game show, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's people competing on certain things, doing stuff. It's like watching Wheel of Fortune or whatever, but just for a long period of time, right? Um, where I, I see this is a sadness for me, for lack of a better term. When you see, you know, people that are more invested in like the housewives and know like all about them and what they're doing and blah, 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 right? I get, you know, invested in the, 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 fake drama that's created in that that's when you see things like that that you go oh why you know and the, you know why are you more interested in i don't even know any of the characters names on those shows you know invested in those people's lives than you are in like better in yourself and you know that's that's where i kind of take it away um hopefully i'm lecturing to the to the to the choir right now um uh, but uh if anybody's offended by that sorry this is my opinion yeah, I agree. I couldn't watch Desperate Housewives either. Desperate. Unless it was Desperate Housewives of Buffalo. That might be good. Desperate I don't think it's called Desperate Housewives is a TV show, not a reality show. But uh, go into the well, and uh, hey, look at everybody. Thanksgiving is tomorrow. Um, the Buffalo Bills are playing against the Detroit Lions. And if, uh, so Speaking go of Buffalo. Go, go Buffalo. Um, Buffalo, everybody in Buffalo right now, to my friends and family, because that's where I was born, um, to my friends and family in Buffalo, I hope that you guys are able, able to shove yourselves out of the snow. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Richard Cray, uh, who lives in Orchard Park, New York, um sent a picture on facebook and uh it was his kids in front of like a 20 foot high snowbank, which is which is amazing and uh uh richard i hope you that you're staying safe out there that's it that's all i got on my end you got anything to say hey i appreciate everybody for listening today to this episode of the todd devoe show um 
I don't know what links are in the show notes, but I'm getting ready to put the audio version of this out. So if you have any questions because you're watching this video, head on over to your favorite podcast player, search the Todd DeVoe show, subscribe, follow, give it a five star while you're there. Check the show notes for this episode and there'll be a link to the recommended reading list I put out on sitchradio.com. Todd, where does your reading list live? My reading list lives on toddtdevoe.com. That's toddtdevoe.com. I guess you could add the www in front of that if you want to, Uh, but you'll find it over there. And always, you know, I'm going to start doing this again uh, in January. We'll be pushing out the um, quarterly reading list. So you can find that on LinkedIn. And you can also find um, some other book recommendations at the Substack at the Emergency Management Network at the Substack. So uh, everybody, Brian, first of all, I want to say happy Thanksgiving. I appreciate your friendship for the last 20 something years and everything that you do. And I hope that you have a wonderful, safe uh, Thanksgiving with you and your family and uh, everybody else. The same to you. Have a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving. And until next time, stay safe. Stay hydrated. <laughs>